This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. weeks ago we um, talked for a little bit about the real world and we showed some pictures. I was going to show a couple of them again this morning but um, we didn't still have them up there and that's fine. If you're here you remember the pictures from Florida and um, I called that the real world. Some people say that when you go on vacation places like that and then you have to go home, they say, well, it's time to get back to the real world, but I see it as the opposite. I see that as the real world and this craziness we deal with day by day is the false world because it's loaded up with all sorts of false hoods that have been established throughout the generations. Um, I want to start off with the scripture we opened up the service with from Philippians 4. I'm going to try to uh, see if we can communicate effectively today how to, how to get the peace of God to be a regular thing in our lives without, without us always having to search for it. Um, without us always having to strive to try to find out where it is, without us always having to clamor for peace. I need more peace in my life. We need more peace in the world. There is a way for us to find and live in that peace. I hope that we can effectively communicate how to live in God's freedom that He's promised. If if God has made promises about certain things to us, then I think we can be sure that those things are actually attainable, right? He wouldn't promise it if it was not attainable. So when God says you can have his peace, and and Jesus actually did say that he was going to give his followers peace that passes understanding. And when God promises you that you can have that, then what that says to us, first of all, is it's possible. You can have it. It's there. But you have to know how to get to it. You have to figure out how to get to it and then understand what it means to live in it. And then freedom is the same thing. Um, We are supposed to be free people. And we talk about it. We know the Scripture deals with it, but... Too many people I know are just not free. And they are people who would say, I'm a Christian person. I'm a follower of Christ, but they're not free. You don't have to spend very much time with them at all to realize that they're just not free. They're living in bondage. They're living in slavery. I couldn't think of a greater paradox in in all of life than for the children of God who have been told that perfect freedom is yours, it's available to you to not be living in that freedom, but to still be slaves. That's a paradox. That's not the way it's supposed to be. So to start with Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. It probably starts right there, wouldn't you think? Because if we're going to give honest confessions 
this morning, if I was just to open it up and say, come get the microphone, for honest confessions concerning the levels to which we rejoice in the Lord, every person in the room is going to be guilty to some extent in that we are not going to be say that I always am rejoicing in the Lord. Is that true? Or is there somebody in the room that says, yes, I do? Always, and in all circumstances. No, we don't. And he repeats it. Uh, I'll say it again. Rejoice. So let's qualify the word rejoice. Does that mean that we skip and dance and sing and clap our hands and make merry all day, every day, is that a sign that we are rejoicing? Well, it can be a sign, but it's not the only sign. And the fact of the matter is, is that you can be very quiet and very meditative, even serious, and still be rejoicing. It's usually a mistake to judge what's going on inside somebody's head or heart by the expression on their face. Now, if it's somebody you've been married to for a long time, or if it's your child or whatever, you may be able to read to a certain extent that there's something wrong based on body language, based on facial expression. But not always. And certainly if it's people you don't know that well, it would be a mistake to judge what's going on in their head or heart based on body language or facial expression. I, I get asked sometimes, why do you look so serious? Why don't you look happier? And my answer to that is, I'm sorry, it's just the fa my face. It's the face I was given. It says nothing about what's going on in my head or heart. I'm just not a person who's beaming and bubbly all the time. Because beaming and bubbly can be tricky, right? Because we all know people who sometimes are beaming and bubbly, but they're just covering something up. So that's not healthy either. We can be rejoicing. We can have an attitude of rejoicing even if it doesn't involve a lot of noise or a lot of laughter or a lot of outward joyful expressions. It's about an attitude of the heart and the mind. And here's a piece of evidence that some of us struggle with. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And there really should be a comma there instead of a period. Or a semicolon there instead of a period. Let your, or the word because. Let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. So is the Lord a gentle Lord? Is He a tender Savior? Yes. So if He is near then should that not show up in us? That we be gentle. Do not be anxious. Now this is 
I know it's I know this is really challenging to a lot of us. Because when you start dealing with the word anything and every and back up to the first line, always those are words that present challenges, right? How? How do you always do these things? How do you, in every situation, about everything, not be anxious? Well, let me tell you how it doesn't work. All right, sometimes it's best to know first what doesn't work, and then we can establish what does work. Here's what doesn't work. Here's what will create a lot of frustration, which will add to the fact that you are being anxious and worried. Is that you just make a decision, hey, I know the Lord, He's my Savior, I'm a born-again believer, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm walking in the kingdom, so I'm just going to make a decision right now that I am not going to be anxious about anything. That doesn't work doesn't work. I'm going to exhort you today to not do that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to exhort you to stop declaring a whole bunch of junk across the board. Because declarations are just going to set you up for failure. Remember a few minutes ago when I said replacement theology is the only true theology? There always has to be a replacement for what doesn't belong. So if you decide you're going to exorcise something, somebody was describing a child they know the other day, and somebody said, that child needs to have an exorcism. Well, you can exorcise whatever's in there all day long, but if you don't have something to replace what went out, the problem's not going to go away. You always have to have a replacement for what doesn't belong. So if anxiousness and worry and fretting doesn't belong, what is it that's going to replace it? It's more about making a decision for the replacement than it is making a decision against what doesn't belong. Are y'all following me? This is Kingdom 101. This is what we all need to know and understand for growth and maturity and victory and fulfillment and and to do away with the things that don't belong. We need to understand what are the processes. We need to commit ourselves to the processes rather than committing ourselves to the exorcism of what doesn't belong. Stop praying and asking God to remove the junk out of your life. It doesn't work like that. That doesn't work. Rather, what does work? Here is the replacement. We make a choice for the replacement. We don't even really deal with the stuff that doesn't belong. I think the enemy just sits around humored at Christian people who are always waging war against their problems because we are not designed and it is not God's plan for us to constantly be battling against our problems. 
But I'll tell you what will drive the enemy crazy is when we get busy pursuing the things that will push out and replace the problems. It's proactive. It's a pursuit of. It's not a defensive method where we stand back here with our shield and ward off all the junk that comes against us, all the fiery darts of the enemy, and try to do away with all the bad stuff. No, it's actively getting up every morning and decide, I'm going after the ways of God, the heart of God, the thoughts of God, the mind and intention of God, the plan that God has for my life from before the beginning of the world. That's what I'm going after. And I don't have to worry about this other stuff because the more of that that I instill in here, the more of the junk is going to be pushed out. It's the power of Jesus Lesson when he handed them bread and wine and said, take this into you because this represents me. And what you need to do is take me into you on a regular basis because that process will cause everything in you that doesn't need to be in you to be pushed out. Because there's not room in you for me and that. Here's the replacement for anxiety. But in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. <laughs> Think about it. You can go past the spiritual and just deal with the logical. If you just make a decision... That all day, every day as I face situations, he says in every situation, we're not just talking about coming to church and being a Christian and paying our tithes and praying and reading the Bible and listening to preaching and teaching. No, yeah, we're talking about that, but we're also talking about paying our bills. We're also talking about going to work or going to school. We're also talking about driving up and down the road and dealing with traffic. We're also talking about poverty and depression and addiction. We're also talking about dealing in human relationships. In every situation, walk into that situation prayerfully asking God to do what He does, asking God to do what people can't do, asking God to trump anything that anybody else has to say. And do it with thanksgiving as if the work is already done before we see a single shred of evidence that it's been done. Praying and thanking Him while we're praying. Petitioning Him and thanking Him for His answer before His answer ever shows up. It is a biblical principle to act like God has already done His work before He ever does it. That's called faith. If you're not going to pray with faith, don't pray. If you're not going to pray and believe that He's going to accomplish His will and purpose in the situation, then just don't pray. Forget about it. If we're not going to pray the right way, let's just don't pray. It's pointless. Find something else productive to do. Prayerfully, in all situations, with thanksgiving on our lips, asking Him to accomplish His will and purpose, asking Him for His kingdom to come in this situation, His will to be done right now in this relationship. 
His daily bread to show up and provide the nourishment, to provide the wisdom, to provide the discernment that whatever we need to do, however we need to speak, however we need to function in that situation will be aligned with God's will and purpose for it. And thanking Him all through the process. Guess what happens? (laughs) And the peace of God. Listen, no instruction here to ask God just to give us His peace. God, give me more peace in my heart. My heart is troubled. I need your peace. Will you please just give me some peace? It's not the way it works. No, rather it's, Father, I'm pursuing your heart. I need to see glimpses of you. I need you to speak to me about what's going on in my life. I need your Holy Spirit to show up and give me counsel, give me wisdom, give me comfort, remind me of all those cool things that Jesus said. Those are the things he promised that the Holy Spirit would do. Father, I need you to accomplish your will here. Father, I don't trust my own judgment. Father, I need your kingdom to show up in flashes today because I really am afraid that I'm going to mess up my own life. I'm not capable of handling this. I'm asking you to do what you do. And we keep praying these prayers and we keep asking him to show up. We keep relying on his spirit. And you know what happens without us even realizing it's happening is the peace of God just starts to flood in because all of a sudden that pressure of self-reliance starts to dissipate. That pressure of feeling like I have to get something done all of a sudden starts to fade away. The pressure and the stress of performance no longer is part of my life or part of my world. And all of a sudden, the peace of God comes in, just starts to trickle into my life. Rarely does it come in floods. It's more, if you've ever seen the worst floods in the history of the world, they don't come in on a big 25-foot tidal wave and just wash over everything. The worst floods happen when water rises, rises, rises slowly, right until it starts to break over boundaries and over floodplains and where it's supposed to go and where it's not supposed to go, all of a sudden that's where it is. Well, that's the way the peace of God in a very positive way happens in our lives. Is it, it rises up and it start, as it finds open space, Empty spaces, it starts to fill up those spaces. And we know how those spaces got emptied out, right? Through our prayers and petition, in faith, with thanksgiving, relying on God to work out His plan in us. Man. I don't know if you needed that, but I just preached myself plumb happy. Peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Listen, that's a very important phrase. Which transcends all understanding because we've gotten so full of ourselves these days that we think we understand what peace is supposed to look like. So we clamor for peace. We see on billboards and on church signs, pray for peace, and we don't even know what we're praying for. We have an idea of what peace is supposed to look like in our heads. And it's not the peace that God promised. 
The peace He promised was an internal peace that will rise up in us like floodwaters as we empty out everything in us that doesn't belong. And no matter what kind of war is going on and no matter what kind of addiction, no matter what kind of depression, no matter what kind of problem we have in our life, the peace of God is going to fill us up. And the Holy Spirit is going to help us to deal with whatever's happening because we have walked through the process in the right way. Peace of God. So Jeff, if we're not going to pray that God give us His peace, what should we pray for as it relates to peace specifically? Listen, don't chase the peace of God. Just chase the God of peace. Just, just chase God. All these great things, all these great words that we see in Scripture, words like peace, words like freedom, words like promise, words like blessing, words like fulfillment. I love those words, but those are not words that I need to have as part of my prayer life that I'm always begging for. That's not, that's not the point. That's not the process. If you start in the first chapter of Genesis and you work your way all the way through to the 22nd chapter of Revelation and you deal with everything in those 66 books, every book, every chapter, every verse, every word, there is one thing that it all boils down to, one person that is at the end of all of it, and that is God Himself. It is all about the person of God. And if we want peace and we want freedom and we want fulfillment, we want the promises to be realized and the answers to come, we pursue Him. Just Him. And then things like peace show up. And it's in a form that passes our understanding. And it will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. No better news I can give you than that today. I think the life of Job is a good example. We don't have time to read that whole story. We've got two verses to put up on the screen. Most of you know what happened prior to these two verses. Job is a very, very wealthy man, a very, very influential man. He's actually described as the greatest man in all the East. He owns thousands of goats and heads of cattle. He owns hundreds of camels and oxen. He's got thousands of acres of land. He's got barns. He's got houses. He's in good shape. And in a single day, he loses everything he has. So what's our nature as human beings when problems come? And none of us can identify really with the level of problems that Job experienced. We've been through some hardships. We've had some losses. We've dealt with some grief and some anxiety and some problems. But not to the extent that Job did. But he sets the example for us. 
when he finally gets the last word after he's been informed that all the livestock is dead, the barns are burned down, you have nothing left, the last word is that your children have perished when the house they were partying in collapsed on top of them. Here's his response. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. We're familiar with those verses. We've heard them quoted a lot. What's missing here? What's missing is Job begging God to give him anything. Look at it. He doesn't ask God for a a single blessing. He doesn't ask God to replace his children with better children. Do you think Job has faith that God could give him better children than the ones he had? Of course he does. But is it appropriate for him to pray and ask God for that blessing? No. He doesn't ask God to restore his ranch to give him back all the stuff he had, to make his life as good or maybe even better than it was before. He doesn't ask for any of that. He doesn't even ask God to replace something smaller than that. He doesn't say, well, I had that, but Lord, I'd be satisfied if you just gave me like a a couple dozen cows and here I need some milk at least and you know just bring me back a few goats and and I need to have the money to build a barn and and out of my 10 kids maybe maybe could I have two three he doesn't ask for the slightest thing instead what does he do he exercises replacement theology when he gets up and yes he demonstrates that his life is busted up and torn apart. He gets up and he tears his clothes, which was tradition in that day when you had suffered loss of a loved one or loss in a battle or something like that, that you might rip your robes, sit down in the dirt and start piling dirt or ashes on top of your head. That was cultural to do that. And he does it. He falls to the, he shaves his head. In that day and time, a man's hair, a man's beard was a sign of, of esteem. It was a sign of, of that he was somebody important. You didn't, it would be humiliating for somebody to take you down and shave your head or shave your beard off. I guess if you had natural hair loss, that was one thing. But you didn't just shave it off and by no means did you want somebody else to do that. Some of us in the room would have been okay with that part already. We would have been, wouldn't have had to worry about that. But he shaves his head. And then what does he do? He falls to the ground in worship. 
And he says, hey, I didn't have anything when I came out of my mother. And I won't own a single possession when I leave this world. It's the Lord who's responsible for everything I've had in life, and I worship him for it. May the name of the Lord be praised. What an appropriate response. Worship. Prayerful with thanksgiving. Laying it all out before God and saying, you know what you're doing here way better than I could ever know what to do. And Job doesn't even, doesn't even seem like he has it in his mind that if he approaches it this way that God will show up and give him stuff or give him his family back. He just exercises this out of a heart that is very, very near to the Father. That's the only way you know what an appropriate response is. Is if your heart is very near to the Father. Right? So, some of y'all got some examples swirling around in your head right now. Well, when this happened in my life, when this person said that last week, with that offense that happened a while back, and my response was this, that, or the other, and I see that my response didn't really accomplish a positive goal, and maybe what I should have done is just to continue to worship my God, continue to declare His name, continue to ask for glimpses of His kingdom to show up day by day, continue to breathe out whispers daily and moment by moment that the Holy Spirit would, would be active in whatever's going on in my life and leave all the results up to God. So the last scripture is Matthew 6, 33, another one that is really, really familiar to all of us. I want some more peace in my life. Anybody else would say that today? I need some more peace. Two, three of us. Anybody feel like you could use some more freedom in your life? Anybody feel like a, a little more wisdom to deal with what's going on in life would be good? How about discernment to be able to know what's going on in situations and how to react? I need all of that. I want all of that. And the list goes on and on and on. I really, really do, and I know you do too. And there's a way for those things to continue to grow and to fill up space in us. And again, the way is not to just beg God to give it to us, but we're not, we're not begging God for freedom. We're not begging God for peace. We're not begging God for discernment or wisdom. We are begging God for more of God. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. The other things, the things we just listed and many, many more. It's all about pursuing a person and not pursuing the stuff that the person might be able to provide to us. Seek Him. Seek His righteousness. Don't worry about the stuff. You see, we'll have, we're likely to have 
a bad understanding of what the stuff ought to look like anyway. Our, our, our understanding of what we need is always skewed because it's always dictated by circumstances. But we're begging God for what we want and what we think we need. Whereas if we would just seek Him as a person, seek His kingdom, allow it to come in and replace and push out, then the stuff will be exactly what it needs to be. When uh, we were down <clears throat> there at St. George Island, there are two words that, that came to me when I was out on a, a fishing boat one day. And the words were beauty and balance. Beauty and balance. You see, it's easy to get caught up in the beauty the beautiful things in life. It may not be that you're down there pulled up against the grass flats with the, the bay waters out in front of you and, and the, the pelicans and the seagulls flying by and the, a, a warm breeze blowing and, and all of the real natural beauty that's around you. That's part of it. Certainly, that is a beauty that is from God and it's extremely gratifying to be in it. But the internal beauty that God establishes in us because He is a beautiful God. You know, it goes deeper than just natural beauty that we can see with our physical eyes because we're not always in that beauty, right? Tomorrow I'll get in the car and and drive to Atlanta and to the worst neighborhood in the state, state of Georgia where it's drab houses and it's concrete and asphalt, where it's, you know, burglar bars on the windows, where it's homeless people on the sidewalks, where it's drug dealers on the corners. It's not always visibly beautiful in front of us, so if we don't have something inside us, some sort of an internal beauty to go to, then we're going to miss out on the beauty that God has to offer. But then there's also balance. And we have to understand balance. And we have to, to embrace it. Because if we don't, we'll always be confused. And we'll always be less productive than we should be in the kingdom. You have to understand balance. So when you go out on a fishing boat in the Gulf, in the bay, wherever you are, it's a good idea even if you didn't check the weather on your smartphone, which we have opportunity to do these days, but you know that opportunity was not always there. If you don't have that, then what should you do? You should at least keep your eyes open and be aware, don't you think? It's See, I don't want us to get caught up in this sort of ethereal, floating along, palms raised, basking in the glory of the Lord mentality, waiting on some blessing to arrive. We have to deal with 
the reality that includes balance. If you do not pay attention to the tides, you can get in trouble. Or you can get stuck. Or you can spend a lot of hours sitting there getting sunburned and catching no fish. Because what you'll discover in a big hurry is that in the bay, if the tide's low, those fish are gone where there's some water. And you can keep throwing it out there and hoping and praying. <laughs> it's just not very much chance anything's going to happen. So how does that connect with all of this? Well, the beauty and the balance started in creation. Where God spoke the world into existence. And it was chaotic and dark to start with, but, but the Spirit hovered over the waters. Listen, there's a point behind all this. That Spirit that hovered over the waters is very important for you right now. That same Spirit that hovered over the darkness and the chaos in the beginning when God was creating the world is hovering over your life right now. With, even if there's darkness there, even if there's confusion there, even if there's chaos there, the Spirit is still hovering over the waters of your life. And God is speaking good stuff out. And the Spirit is there to create the environment for that good stuff to take hold in you. And Jesus is there to do the work that the Father speaks. And so there is a beauty, because if you read, I read through Genesis 1 and 2 again last week. Just read it and absorb it. Pay attention to the details. You're going to find incredible beauty. As a matter of fact, it is the first real description of perfect, pure beauty in the history of humanity. How it all comes together. And then once it's been spoken into existence and it's here, then everything starts to work in this perfect balance. Harmony between God and mankind and the rest of natural creation. In balance. And if you don't pay attention to the balance, you'll get in trouble. You'll get lost. You'll get off track. You get, that happens when you start to depend on yourself, when you start to make selfish decisions, when there's this tremendous self-reliance. I can get this done. I can fix my life. I can overcome my problems. I can find the answers I need. I can make it happen. No, you can't. No, you can't. You absolutely cannot. So then, when the time comes that you decide that you're going to seek His kingdom first, that you're going to seek His righteousness, that you're going to call on His name, that you're going to pursue the person of God, then everything, in a very beautiful way, with perfect balance to it, starts to come together to form your life into what God intends for it to be. And that's His work. All you're doing is submitting to His work. All you're doing is calling on His name. 
Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And saved means that you are saved from yourself. You are saved from the, the, the doctrines that the enemy wants to establish in your mind that you're good enough, strong enough, smart enough to make something happen. Just call on Him. That's it. It's a salvation message. Call on Him. You can do it here. You can do it after a while. You can do it tonight. You can do it when you're alone. You can do it when, when, when you're with other people. Any point in time, just know this. The Spirit's hovering over your life. The Father's speaking good stuff. He's telling you what to do. He's showing you how to do it. And the minute you speak it out and say, I'm finished trying to manage this myself. I'm calling on the name of the Lord. And He's going to save you from yourself. He's going to start to create His plan up in you. And He's going to start to work out His balance, which is going to produce His results. And those good God results are going to push out everything in you that you have established in yourself through your own self-management for however long that's been. Amen, amen, amen. God, what you continue to show us and speak into our hearts is, is powerful beyond description, and it's for somebody. I don't know who you're challenging. I know you're challenging all of us to a certain extent. But you are calling somebody to salvation. You are calling somebody to repentance. You're calling somebody to just throw their hands up and say, I give up. I tried it. I can't do it. Calling on the name of the Lord. I'm releasing my own, the reins of my own life into your hands. I'm seeking after your kingdom, your righteousness, and whatever results you have, whatever you want to establish in me, I'm wide open to it. So I pray for those people that these things would not leave their minds when they leave here, but that they would remain, that they would just dominate their thinking until they have the courage to cry out say here I am I give up we love you we worship you we honor you and we pray these things in your name amen <laughs>